Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses for an audience of real entrepreneurs. Joining me is um, Stefan Shebesta. Stefan has got the, the most beautiful video I've ever encountered in over 2,000 interviews. It's like the nice blurry background, and even though he blurred out his background, everything is taken care of in the background. It, it, by the way, Steph, is that representative of who you are? Like, what are you using to make this look so good? Um, I well, I repurposed my my good digital camera since I'm not able to travel anymore at the moment, uh, and I repurposed as a as a webcam. So that's why I have such a nice picture here. What's the camera you're using? It's a it's a Sony A7R Mark IV. So it's, it's a really nice camera. It's totally over engineered to be used as a webcam, but I I still like doing it. I, I love that attention to detail. Stefan, whose voice you just heard, is the founder of Newsletter to Go. It's email marketing software that he created um, and sold to a company called Send in Blue. And Send in Blue does uh, it's an intuitive platform that does email marketing automation. And frankly, to even say email alone is to undercut what it does. It also does uh, text messages, it also does live chat, it does a lot of the things that we come to expect from from email marketing and so much more. I invited him here to talk about how he founded his company, how and why he decided to sell it, and what he's doing now as the head of their North American operations at Send in Blue. And frankly, how can Send in Blue compete in a world with so many other email marketing software out there? All right, we can do this thanks to two phenomenal sponsors. The first, if you need a website hosted, go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. The second, when you're hiring people and you want to actually know not just what's on their resume or LinkedIn or whatever, but can they do the job? There's a tool, co tool called Vervo that will help you test them and make sure that they can do the job that you're hiring them for. But I'll talk about those later. First, Stefan, good to have you here. Thanks. Uh, it's a pleasure. Give me an example of how uh, this attention to detail. I told you we're not even publishing the video, but you still paid attention to the video detail. Give me an example of how that expresses itself outside of video conferencing, maybe in, in your business. So actually, my background when when I started my company was really focusing on the product. And our no, number one goal of, of creating newsletter to go back in the day when I started was 2010, 2011. So about 10 years ago, we really wanted to provide software to small and medium businesses that anybody could use. So we really focused on building features that were very, very intuitive. And basically, nobody could go wrong. And one of the features, maybe that, but one of my favorite features where we put a lot of effort in and a lot of attention to detail was called the one-click product transfer. We were basically the first in the market who allowed customers to connect to a to a web store and really transfer product into their mailings, into their templates, with one click. And it was extremely easy. Our customers loved it. And it brought us a lot of business and we, you know, we perfected it over time. And I think uh, that was one of the nicest features we, we ever built. I heard you started this because you were doing consulting and this was part of a project you did for a client. What type of consulting were you doing? So back in the day, I was still in university studying and in my teenage years already, I started programming. My my father is or was a, a college professor, and we had a an old computer. You know, and back in the nineties, I started programming a bit in in Turbo Pascal, and then later Delphi. So uh, maybe some of you might remember, and that kind of led into a small web programming agency with one of my school friends. And one of the projects that we took on, uh, it was paid by a, by a company in, back in Berlin, in Germany, where, where, where I come from. Um, that was an, an email marketing uh, desktop application, or maybe email marketing is even said too much. It's basically a newsletter application where you have, where you had to upload your, your contacts. You had to bring your own template already coded in HTML. You have to bring your own IPs to send out but the you the created mailing. this, Stefan, just for one client? Couldn't you have used any number of other email marketing software that was out there, like AWeber was out there? Yeah, back in the day, you know, 
there weren't really that many software as a service email marketing companies out there that really provided a good user experience. Plus the customer, you know, paid us and offered, <laughs> offered, uh, offered to, to, you know, pay for this project. So we, we actually, we didn't really propose anything else. We were like, okay, that's, I mean, that's, that's a good project for uh, us. You, there we weren't a lot of companies money. out there, but the client just said, hey, create it for me. And there was no incentive for you to say, well, what if you use one of these other things? We could look for something online. No, the customer, I mean, the customer had done his research and he wasn't happy with any solution out there. Mm. They needed a simple solution that anybody in their team could use. So we created a very, very simple application that they had to install on the desktop, only worked on Windows. You know, you couldn't upgrade it or it was not very scalable either. But from there, the idea of creating um, a software as a service and make it, making it accessible to a larger audience arrived. And this is where really newsletter to go and the idea to newsletter to go was incepted. Who inspired you back then when it came to SaaS? There were a few voices back then that were strong. Um, who did you listen to? Honestly, we when we started, we 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 didn't really do that much of of research. Yes, we looked into the into the space of of email marketing software as a service a bit. There were some German companies that we looked into. There was Mailchimp already. But they were all very, very small and not very good. Um, so, so honestly, if I, I think if we had researched maybe more and had put more effort into market research, we might have never started the company. It's a, it's a little paradox, but sometimes it's good not to know a hundred percent, right? And uh, sometimes it's good if you're a little naive when you when you start a startup. And I, I feel this was the case for us. So we just, you know. We were like, okay, well, we have this one customer who obviously needs the solution. Um, we're sure there are like hundreds or thousands of customers out there that had similar needs. We actually wrote a business plan on that and was perceived well by the university as well. Not that it matters so much, but, you know, that gave us more confidence to just go ahead and start. And, you know, the Nike claim, just do it. This is pretty much what we, what, what we did. And, um, it actually, for, for us, it, it helped not to, to do too much research and know too much about the market back in the day. And your client allowed you to take the code that you created for them and turn it into something that you sell to other people? No, that, that code was not reusable, uh, honestly. We, we just started oh. from, from zero <laughs> okay. because that was what we built there was, uh, was a desktop application and very limited in functionality. So we started... We started new from scratch and we built a, well, simple application at first, uh, but which was hosted by ourselves. So, you know, anybody could use it, didn't have to install anything. Um, we could, we could up, update it whenever we liked and so on. So that was the typical advantages of a software as a service, obviously. Okay. Um, so we, yeah, we, but we had to start completely from scratch. I heard you raised 10,000 euros to start the business. What was the money for <laughs> from, from family? That was, yeah, uh, you know, how you say in the family, friends and fools. And in our case, it was family. Um, so my, my dad invested 5,000 and um, my, my friend's family as well. And we used it to, to pay our first programmer. So we didn't pay ourselves anything, but we had one software developer uh, so we we paid them the the ten thousand euros and we programmed ourselves ourselves uh, the first version of of newsletter to go and this is how we got the the product started so very hands on. How'd you get your first customers? The first customers, you know, I think with a lot of with, with a lot of starts it's the same. Uh, they come from from a network and in our case we had. Um, we had the opportunity to be in a in an office building that our our university uh, subsidized basically or gave us for free and we had a lot of other startups in that in that office space and you know email marketing is a very universal online marketing channel so sooner or later you know we were approached our 
our, our friends on, on the floor, they needed the same solution, they needed an email marketing solution. So we started working with them and we were really close to the customer. And it, it took a while until we, you know, got the online marketing, our, our own online marketing right and, um, and got the first customers that we actually didn't know on a personal level. And what you had at first was the ability to, I guess, was there a form or did people have to use their own forms and add it to the database and then send out a message? What was part of the first version? So the first version was really, you, you were able to upload your, your contact as a, you know, an Excel format, format or a CSV format. We had this online editor, which and the first version was okay, but then really evolved into a very easy to use drag and drop editor later. Uh, so you were able to create the mailings, you were able to schedule the mailings, and we had some reporting. And that, that was pretty much it. You were, you were able to see, you know, how many people opened the email, what was the click rates, what, what links were clicked, and so on. It was very basic, but it would cover most of the needs, the basic needs of, of our customers. And from there, of course, we evolved uh, the product over time and added a, a lot of features, much more sophisticated, uh, like uh, marketing automation and SMS and uh, you know live chat, landing pages, uh, CRM, uh, some things you already mentioned before. I heard that you weren't sure if you're going to continue. You weren't sure if this would take off. You decided you were going to set a revenue target. If you could hit a revenue target, then you would stick with the business. If not, you just move on to something else. What was the target that you set for yourselves? I think it was uh, 130,000 euros in year three or so. I don't okay. remember exactly, but we, yeah, we, we, we were able to make it. <laughs> but if you wouldn't, if but, you wouldn't hit 100,000 euro in, was this recurring revenue or in the beginning you didn't even have recurring revenue? We didn't really have a recurring revenue model in the beginning it was more pay as you go and then later uh, changed that in the beginning yeah we weren't really sure that our business model would work in the long term and customers would actually return and um, and it took us a while to figure that out honestly and a lot of startups have go through this phase right where you try to find the product market fit and it's always it's so hard to know when is the right time to either quit or to pivot um, or to continue. And for us, um, it took a couple of, of, of years to really understand our business model and to get the traction where we could really project the, the outcome of the coming months and to see that, that the trajectory would be positive. Uh, but yeah, in our case, we set this hard target and we, we reached it. And after that, we were very confident that our business model Stephen, was though, working. Stephen, though, three years to get to $130,000 in revenue sounds like a lot, but it's two people yeah. who are co-founders of the company, plus at least one developer that you had at the time, right? So it's not that much to go around. And then you had costs. Why did you stick with it for three years when you were making so little money? Yeah, so, it, you know, we were a very lean startup. We had this 10,000 euros in funding from fam from, from family, and then we had one other investor, um, um, the co-founder of, of Ableton, it's a music software, which is pretty popular. Uh, and he invested 50,000 euros back in the day. But that was really little funding if you compare that to a typical funding nowadays. And back in the day, um, the startup scene back in Berlin, Germany, wasn't you know, very developed. There were very little VCs. There was very little money in the market. Uh, so we were really a, an extremely lean startup back in the day. And we even had in the first three years, we took on a couple of external projects to find like to cross finance uh, our, our developers that we hired. So that's the reason why it, why it maybe took a little longer, but uh, it, it really but taught why, us why stick with how it? to efficiently work on the product and also how to efficient but by then by then there were competition you were smart well, enough to know it. because we well yeah. we ended up why stick i should say we're, we're trying riverside fm for the very first time to record interviews and i'm seeing that there's a little bit of a lag with it and that's unfortunate because 
it's such good software for recording interviews, but uh, I want to acknowledge that's where some of the lag is coming from. So you were starting to say you, why you were sticking with it. Help me understand that. What was it about the business that you saw, especially when they were already clearly competitors in the space? What did you see that was so promising? Well, we really thought that we could make a, or build a better software. Yeah, there were some competitors out there, especially in, in the market where we operated, though. We didn't really like any of the software that was out there. And we saw that our customers liked our product and they were, you know, in the beginning of our, of our startup, we did everything ourselves from programming the software, bug fixing, customer service, sales, marketing, we did everything, right? So we were really close to the customer and we, we understood that we provided a good value to our customers and that customers liked our product. Uh, so, you know, there was no reason uh, to quit other than uh, not making enough money from it, really. Got it. And so the vision that you had was what? What were you going to do that was so different from what existed? So the vision was and still is for, for Send and Blue is to give access to powerful online marketing tools to small and medium businesses who wouldn't be able to afford and use these kind of tools um, before, you know, newsletter to go or send in blue existed. And really when we started, there was no software that was easy to use um, that you could, could just sign up, use for free even in the beginning and be successful and compete with uh, the big players in the market. And this is, you know, that was our vision in the beginning and still is. And, maybe more important than ever with, you know, the, the big players and like Amazon or Walmart, you know, yeah. um, their online business is going, is growing and growing. And it's really important that, you know, the small and medium businesses also have a chance to compete with them. Yeah. I've got to say, I remember trying out different email back then. And if we wanted something stupid, simple, it existed. Stupid, simple with a nice paint job existed also. But if we wanted features, it was so complicated and so needlessly difficult that I remember it wouldn't even work in Chrome. I would have to switch over to Firefox for one of the players. It was uh, Infusionsoft, would only work in <laughs> Firefox. And then you would have this like random stuff that you'd have to do in order to send out messages. It was either stupid, simple, or incredibly complicated and out of reach and not worth getting distracted by. So I get the vision. I guess I get where you were. When you started reaching outside of your friends, talk to me about how you got other other customers. So basically, we always focused on performance marketing channels. So from from, from an early day, right, we we start with Google, Google ads. We were extremely strong as well in organic search. Um, that was one of the, the biggest channels that drove business to us. And uh, we created good content. And I think that's still a very, very successful way uh, to promote your business nowadays, right? Of course, now you also have so more and more social media. Of course, uh, back in the day was uh, mostly our business was coming through Google and um, and, and content generation. And later we also went to a lot of trade shows. We partnered with a lot of e-commerce, uh, shops and providers. And that helped us. When, that's also at the time where we started creating this one click product transfer features and integrating into a lot of shop systems. And, and that made life even easier for our customers. I saw that, um, one of the things that you did was you had integrations fairly early on, right? Integrations to email marketing makes so much sense because people want to take the email address that they collect somewhere and add them to the list. That was uh, a big thing. You added text text messages earlier than other people. How'd you know about text messages being so important as, a, as an aspect of an email marketing company? Well, it kind of uh, comes natural. I mean, we want to provide... Um, a communication platform in a way, right? You want to, as a customer, you want to stay in touch with, with your customers again. And what better way to do this on a digital level than email and SMS, especially um, think about like five to 10 years ago, right? So text message 
was very popular and I mean still is kind of popular now we have a lot of messengers and you know, Instagram and TikTok and so on as well but back in the day text messages um, were more popular than today text messages are, while being pretty intrusive as well and you can, you have to be careful when to use mm-hmm. them they have basically 100% open rate right so they're very powerful uh, very, it's a very was that something that, that your customers experience. asked for or was that something that you offered because you just assumed um, that they would need it so I think we assumed it in the beginning but then it showed that the customers actually uh, also needed it and where SMS and other channels become really powerful is when you can start to combine these channels together and share the data that you have on one customer and, and, and yeah. combine it, for example, in market, marketing automation, right? Somebody maybe didn't uh, read an email and then you want to make sure that they got the notification and you send a, a text message after. These are the kind of scenarios where, you know, of course you can get a lot more sophisticated, but these are the kind of simple scenarios where it already makes sense to use SMS. All right. I want to know about growth, but let me take a moment to talk about my first sponsor. It's a company called Vervo. I'm assuming, Stefan, you haven't heard of Vervo. Am I right? That's right. I'm going to blow your mind. Here's what it's about. You know, when you hire people, you want to know, are they going to do the job well? And what you do is you try to look at their resume to understand that. Well, what Vervo does is says, let's just test them. Let's give them a way to go and get an assessment. And then as a business owner, as the person in charge of hiring, you could decide if it's a good fit. So let me assume this. Stefan, imagine if I was hiring someone to take over my email marketing, right? I wouldn't want to know what companies they work for. I wouldn't even necessarily want to know. I wouldn't necessarily want to see what they wrote for other companies, how they used other company software, because I don't know how much interaction they got from other players at the company, right? Here's what I could do with Vervo. I could have a form that they would fill out to apply for the job. And in the form, I might have um, maybe a video of myself explaining the message I want to send out. I might say, you know what? I just interviewed this guy, Stefan, and I want to tell people about how he got started. And I want to talk about how he understood the power of SMS. And I want to talk about that. And then I, I do that as a video and I say, you now, as the person applying for the job, write the email that would come from me based on the video that I just spoke. I just told you what should go in the in the email, you write it below. And now they get to write the email as part of their job application. And then underneath that, I might say, I'm thinking about using email marketing software to send this out. What software would you recommend and why? And now they answer that based on their experience, right? So you get to see how they think, you get to see how they would do the job. And then when they submit their application, it's not, here's where I worked in the past, here's what I did in the past, and you don't even know what I, how much of it I did and how much someone else did, but it's, here's how I would handle real-world problems that your company has. Here's how I can do the job that I'm applying for. And what that allows you to do is hire people based on what they could really do for you. And also, frankly, it eliminates some of the some of the bias that we have, we sometimes assume, all right, somebody who's younger, somebody who's from a certain part of the world is more dynamic, more capable of doing the work that we're looking for. Someone who looks more like us is more capable of doing the work. But if you see their results before you even talk to them and you see that a person does well, who cares what they look like? All right. And finally, Stefan, what it does is it allows people to hire faster. A lot of what we do is just a waste of time when it comes to hiring. All right. I could talk my head off about about this, Stefan. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to let people use this software for free. As soon as you use it, it's going to make 100% sense to you. And so the company name is Vervo. It's V-E-R-V-O-E.com. And if you go to Vervo.com slash Mixergy, they'll let you use it for free. So here it is again. V-E-R-V-O-E.com slash M-I-X-E-R-G-Y. Vervo.com slash Mixergy for anyone who wants to go use this for free. And see how effective it is at speeding up your hiring process, reducing bias, and actually helping you hire people who can do the job. All right. Now you know about them. Stefan, you're going to be able to take wow, it back to your, to your people. I'm telling you, it's good. All right. I get, a, I get a sense of how you got started. I remember that one of the milestones for you was hitting $10,000 a month. And now I understand why. I'm looking at early versions of your site. What you used to do is say, here's how much it would cost. Like, here it is. For 10,000 emails, it would be €6.50 for CPT. I don't know what CPT (laughs) was. I could get a package price for €65. It was so confusing. But this is what you charge for the first, like, what, four or five years? (laughs) 
Yeah, so that was a CPM basically, a, a customer mill for 4,000 4, emails. Yes, um, that's, um, yeah, that was the beginning, you know. Always that was the beginning, and then evolved. <laughs> and then you switched to subscription. When you switched to subscription, yeah, what was that switch like? How did you make that switch? And then what were the results from it? So we 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 saw already that I mean customers were returning to our to our platform, and they would you know use our our tool, but they wouldn't always use it on a regular basis, and they would go with you know they would buy a. a um, I don't know, 10 million um, email package, and then they would use it over the next 24 months or so, right? And that's that's fine, but it it really made it difficult for us to project and um, to plan ahead. So when we switched over to like a subscription-based service, that you know that was from our side, it made a lot of sense um, to just from a from a business perspective, and we really. You know, at the same time, we introduced like three different plans and depending on, on the feature sets that we, that we offered. And we, we migrated these customers onto these plans. It was a very soft transition for them, mostly for the new paying customers. But then after a year, we, we moved, we forced everybody to, and, and that was, yeah, it was quite a, quite a bit of work, work, but it made a lot of, you know, made a lot of sense. And the customers understood, and actually, you know, we were afraid that we lose, would lose a lot of customers, which was not the case at all, and uh, it really helped our our business, after all. How big did the company get before you sold it? Revenue. So the company we we grew the company to about seventy employees, um, and in terms of revenue, and. Sorry, that I can't. Give me a ballpark. Are we talking about about low millions? Are we talking about tens of millions in revenue? Give me a sense of where where you were. So back in the day, it was under ten million uh, a okay. year, but it was uh, in the millions. Um, so we we had we had grown a, a nice business. We you know like I said, we had very little funding, so we had to be profitable. And and you know having seventy employees on the payroll, you more or less can figure it out yourself. Uh, but that's that's that was basically back in in 2018 when we reached the 70 employees and then decided to uh, join forces with Send and Blue. Why? Why did you decide to sell? You're you're rolling finally. Yeah, we were yeah. rolling, and you know we're still rolling. <laughs> yeah, and, but then uh, why why we, sell we it instead of becoming? <laughs> yeah. So the the reason was that the landscape has had changed a bit over the years. Um, so mm-hmm. there was more competition. There were like the Mailchimp's and Constant Contact in the world had grown pretty large. And back in Europe, we had kind of smaller players in each European country. And we had tried to internationalize for a year, year and a half. Back in 2018, we hired country managers out of Berlin. Berlin is a very international city, so that wasn't the the issue. But it was really hard to get traction on on other European markets. That's where we focused on first. Um, and the reason was that there were other smaller players in each of these European markets. Um, and for us, looking at the at this situation, it didn't really make a lot of sense for us to, you know, go against these and everybody was competing with the MailChimp and Constant Contact at the same time. So we looked around and talked to a lot of players on the European market who had the same vision as us and ended up with Send and Blue, joined forces with them. Made a lot of sense for us because we were building a similar project. We had similar vision. We had similar uh, company culture. And by, you know, merging the companies, we instantly became the European market leader. And now we're you know, stronger, stronger than ever before. So we're kind of the Airbus of of email marketing in a way. <laughs> With Newsletter Go, before you sold, did you try to raise money beyond the fifty thousand that you raised and the ten thousand that you raised from family? We tried very early on, and then decided not to raise any more money because we we thought we could grow the business nicely with without external money, which was true. I guess not to like not 
to that degree that we um, were becoming a hundred or two hundred or thousand employee uh, company back in the day. But we, we we had some talks. We had also some inbound. You know, we're one of the fastest growing companies in the digital uh, digital space. A couple of years in a row, uh, top top twenty five. So we had yep. a lot of inbound as well. But it never really appealed to us that much. And then when when the Send and Blue opportunity came, why along, not? Um, well, we thought we could pull it off ourselves, and we also heard some some stories, you know, where it, it wasn't that much fun to to work with a VC. Yeah. Um. So, so we we really thought we, we it's just better, and we have more control of the company if we do do it ourselves. All right, and then you started talking to other companies. What was it that Send and Blue had? Send and Blue had uh, they raised a big round, right, before the acquisition. Yeah. How much did they raise? Yeah, about uh, I think it was thirty-seven million U.S. dollars. Okay, so they had funding. They had how big was their business compared to yours, revenue-wise? About three times. Three times. Ah, the wow. And did they expand beyond what was their original market? France, I think. France, and then they were, they had some traction in the South European market and a bit of traction in UK as well. Um, and then the US market really started developing in 2018 to 2020. Got it. So the thing that you were trying to do beyond grow, you were trying to expand to other countries. They were already doing it themselves without doing a roll up of local businesses. Oh, wow. I would think that that would make the most sense to do a roll-up to say, look, there's all of these European companies. They're all doing the same thing, but each one is catering to their own market. Let's just go and acquire them all, keep their brand for a while until we integrate it with one big brand. Did that ever yeah. happen? It didn't. It didn't it happen didn't. On, on the European market. Why Why do you think it didn't? Honestly, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to say. Um, there were mm -hmm. some acquisitions in, in that space. There's an Italian company that is already public on the Italian stock exchange. Uh, so, so maybe, I, I, but I, I, honestly, I think it was more the founders that weren't really willing to do that. Um, uh, we had some German competitors either, uh, as well that were, you know, they were not interested in any M&A activities. We talked, we talked to some German, um, you know, competitors it makes a lot of sense to, you know, roll up in Germany first, <laughs> but there was, was really no, no big interest on, on the side of things. Were you selling for equity or cash or both? Uh, both. And I'm still um, a major shareholder in Send and Blue. So I'm, okay. you know, still believe in, in the project. And I, I think we, well, numbers and our growth really justify that as well. We did raise a, a large round in, in October, uh, Series B, 160 million US dollars, which was one of the biggest rounds that was ever raised in our industry. So I, I think we, you know, we, there's still a lot of potential for us to, to grow and we're, we're doing a lot of things right. And, you know, for yeah. me, um, as in a new role as, as leading the North American team, there's so much potential here as well. You, you sold the business and then it was at first two different brands. Did you assume that the two different brands would stay separate? I know that there were some challenges in the acquisition. Yes, um, that's true. I mean, both, both sides, Send and Blue and, and Newsletter to Go, all the founders, it was the first time we were merging two companies and it's, you know, it's not, not easy to merge two companies that obviously that we had similar values and similar DNA, but uh, after all, it's, it's still two, two completely, um, you know, entirely different companies and you have different processes, some tools that you use, like different mindset, different background as well. So yeah, of course we went through some, um, some issues, which I think is also normal in a post-merger integration. And in, in terms of the brand, we kept our the New Side to Go brand in the beginning, and then switched it over uh, to Send and Blue. I think a year and a half almost later, um, uh -huh. and that was, of course, a big transition as well. How was that for you emotionally? Hard, from what I heard. So, um, on one hand, you know, 
we we always have this vision of becoming the European market leader and growing the company into a global company where we are nowadays. Uh, but of course, on a on a personal level, it's it's not easy. Um, you know, no knowing you you're selling your company and all the work you've you've put in. Of course, you expect things to change, but uh, in a way, you know, taking uh, taking down the old the old logo that I had yeah. uh, that I had drafted on a piece of paper in in 2010 and so on. It it, it is kind of emotional as well, right? So it's it's it was definitely not the easiest time in of in my founder's career, and it kind of felt like I'm. Um, you know, instead of creating something, I'm destroying it a little bit. While we did, of course, you know, use uh, some of our features we put into the Send and Blue software as well, and a lot of things, uh, Office, employees, processes, and a lot of tools that we use, and a lot of product features that we develop are still in use. But uh, nevertheless, uh, was yeah, it was definitely um, it felt 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 awkward at times. All right, I want to switch to talking about Send in Blue and what's going on there. But before I switch away from newsletter to go, let me just understand why it worked. What was it that that allowed you to succeed? If you could give me a few bullet points, what would they be? Yeah. So the first one is definitely being very customer centric and product centric, and I think that's that explains like ninety percent of our success, right? And of course, it's a lot of work, right? You have to be hardworking and. Sometimes nowadays founders think, you know, it's, it's almost a startup, startup culture where everyone wants to raise millions of money and they think it's so easy, but it's, it's actually a lot of work. Um, and our work was really funneled into this, uh, into the product and product. What do you mean? Everyone product. says product is most important. It feels yeah. like. What is it that you are doing to actually live that? What's different about you? Well, you know, we really uh, were extremely close to the customer. Like I said, we did everything from answering all the customer care calls to bug fixing to selling the product and uh, and working on the product itself, right? So it was extremely helpful to understand what the customers actually needed. And it helped us to find our product market fit. And uh, and and I think that's that that's the most important thing that you have to learn when you when you start your business is what do your customers actually need and and so how did how did you do that you did bug fixes that doesn't seem like it's it's the magic what's the magic that <laughs> allowed you to get close to your customers well customers would call in if they had an issue right so and and since we in the beginning we were not only the customer care team but also the the programmers we would just fix the issues ourselves. So ideally, something like we were uh, level one, level two, level three support at the same time, right? And and that Mean, helps to meaning to, the founders would be the people who you two were the people yeah. who would also answer the phone if there was a problem with a customer instead of yeah. saying we've got customer support people. Yeah, in the, like you, the you, first couple of years, yeah. And my co-founder, my co-founder would work in the customer care team uh, for a couple more more years, so he's very close to you know he knew exactly what what the issues were. Got it. All right, and I think at first it was available to everyone, and then eventually telephone support became part of what the standard and pro plans, right? Yeah. And so, got it. So we talking even, to customers. Even, sorry, Andrew, but there there was one interesting detail. We even had a a, a toll free number even for, for free customers. So you can imagine a free customer, we had like this freemium plan, right? So you, they, they were able to send a thousand emails per month completely for free. Uh-huh. And they would call in. And then most of, most of the time, these customers are the ones who, who actually tend to call in most, more than the yeah. ones that pay for it, right? So really when there was something broken, something not working in the product, you know, we would get annoyed because we had to answer all these tickets. <laughs> So we would rather fix the problems right away, <laughs> and that's really that really helped in, in creating a, a uh, flawless user experience. I would say. All right, what else did you do to get so close to the customer that you could improve the product? Well, I think on the other hand, you wanna wanna build uh, features that the you know the customer wants but doesn't really know about yet. So that's when we started looking around and. 
around our product and, you know, building text messages and SMS marketing, uh, building these e-commerce integrations, which um, initially one of our customers had asked for a similar feature. And then we thought of basically went further and went to trade shows and talked to a lot of customers on these trade shows. Uh, and then we started developing features that we thought would be very beneficial for these e-commerce uh, soft uh, uh, users. Um, and, and that really helped our product also to, to evolve over time and make it more sophisticated and bring innovation to the market, actually. And I do see how you were doing content throughout the throughout the years. I, there was a period there where <laughs> I'm looking at the Internet Archive. There was a whole section of infographics back when infographics did really well. You guys were big on those. White papers, of course, <laughs> yeah. an email marketing company should be big yeah. on those because they uh, they often get an email address from people who want the white papers. All right, I'm with you. Let me take a moment to talk about um, my second sponsor. It's a company called Hostgator. Anyone out there who needs an email website, not an email, a website hosted should go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. They'll give you the lowest price if you use my URL, hostgator.com slash Mixergy. All right, let's talk Send in Blue now. What's the, what is it that separates Send in Blue from all the other companies that are out there? And by by the way, I should say Send in Blue is a is a sponsor. Um, occasionally, I don't even know if you guys still even have sponsor ads left, but you were a sponsor, you are a sponsor. Um, so I've gotten a sense of it. But what is it that makes you guys different? So we have over one hundred eighty thousand um, customers, mostly from the small and medium business side of things. So if you have 180,000 customers, you have a lot of different requirements, right? So every every business has slightly different needs and um, expectations. So our, you know, what we do better really ranges uh, uh, depending on the on the business needs. But what I hear most from our customers, you know, we have very fair and affordable pricing on one hand. You know, for us, you pay paper email that you actually send out, not by contact that might be inactive and you're actually not in, in touch anymore. Yeah, um, you know what? I wonder if, I, I feel like most people sign up for email marketing when they don't realize why that that's an issue, what you just said. They realize it's an issue maybe three, five years into their business when they suddenly have a big list of people they can't mail to anymore because they unsubscribed. Those people are still in the database and they're being charged by the email marketing company for those email addresses, even though they're not mailing to them. And I, I wonder if that's a feature that matters to customers when they're signing up or if it's just a nice discovery later on. Uh, well, absolutely. I, I, I believe, you know, in, in fair and transparent pricing. And I, I don't think uh, charging for, for for a contact list that you can't even reach anymore makes makes too much sense. So, yeah, some customers discover that later in <laughs> In a, after a couple yep. of years of using a software, um, but it, yeah, we we see a lot of you know a lot of incoming requests um, on this and a lot of a lot of prospects switching over because of, uh, of of this reason. All right, so it's that another thing that you guys do is you still do customer support phone numbers. So I think I saw a phone number on the website. Does that matter to get new business? I'm trying to understand why you guys are growing in a market that has so many other entrants. It felt it felt for a while there like email marketing was was locked up. There are a handful of companies that already had it, and that was it. And then you saw a few players like Nathan Barry come in with his uh, with his email marketing company, and I thought, all right, he's going after niche creators. Fine, smaller business doesn't have to compete with the big guys because he didn't raise much money. And then I started to see that there are still other players coming in. Send in Blue continues to grow, and I I wonder. What are you doing to grow in a business that in an industry that felt like it was locked up already? I would be frankly, Stefan, if I were you, I would be too scared to come into the space. I would say, okay, this is done. Let's go somewhere else. Let's go to a place that nobody is or nobody's competing and start fresh instead of trying to compete with these big guys who have established brand names and so on. What yeah. is it that you're doing that allows you to actually grow there? Well, I think we do a lot of things right. Um, on the, I, I mean, on the you, you mentioned the customer service, and we do offer twenty four seven. You know customer customer service we we have customer service available in six different languages so that definitely sets us apart but also on the on the feature level you know email marketing is still 
the the online marketing channel that has the highest return on investment. So every dollar you invest, you get about forty dollars back, right? So email marketing is still very strong and still growing, right? That's that's always important to to remember because we always uh, a lot of times I talk to somebody and like okay email marketing is dead but it's really far from that and then combining it with with other channels um, and you know having really powerful marketing automation set up where you when when you really target your customers better and 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 are able to get the like the last five percent out out of your marketing activities. That's where, where these other channels can be very powerful. And, you know, we offer uh, SMS marketing. We already mentioned that landing pages, the CRM feature, an inbox feature, and a, and a chat feature. So we're really trying to combine not only the marketing team on our platform, but more and more the sales team, the customer care team as well, so that you have the one platform that can do it all for you. And you, you have your customer profiles on there. You know what happened to them in the past. And you can really use that information to uh, to be very specific, very personalized, and very personalized and very targeted messages that are performing just a lot better than if you have all your data uh, in cluster in, in different locations. All right. So you went to, I think it was Toronto, right, to open up the to expand the North American operations. Yes. You went to open up an office there, right, last year. Exactly. And then everything got shut down because of coronavirus. What happened to the office? Are you, are you working from home right now? I am working from home, but I'm, I'm hoping we can go back to the office very soon. So the Toronto office, uh, we already, you know, we, we had an office in Seattle before. And yeah. it's, it's, so we, that was established in 2015. Uh, it's still up and running. We have almost 40, 40 employees in, in Seattle. And we needed, you know, a sales, business development, marketing, PR office on uh, in the North American market as well. And and for us, as we are a truly global company with with offices in three different time zones, um, it it made a lot of sense to have an, another office on the on the East Coast just to to kind of um, coordinate with with Europe. And we also have an Indian office, and it's very difficult to do that from you know from Seattle. So we. We decided on opening the office here in, in Toronto, which, yeah, they're honestly under their easier things and then moving <laughs> a household during a pandemic and establishing a new office at that time. But, you know, this so is what did you do? Are. Did you not even did you not even open up the office or did you start to open it up and then lockdowns happen? We started it up. We were in the office uh -huh. until I think October, basically full time. And then we, you know, split the team and you know what everybody's doing. Uh, currently, it's completely shut down, and we're hoping uh -huh. that we'll open again. I think the lockdown here was extended until May 20th, and I hope afterwards we'll be, be able to go back. Um, and I, 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 I do believe, you know, for a small team, we're, we're um, six people in Toronto only at the moment, hiring two, mm -hmm. two more at, the, at this time. We're a small team, like a startup inside of a scale-up, right? And we, I do believe for a small team, it makes sense to to be together as well and to learn from one another. And it's good for the team spirit in general. Yeah, I think as we're all talking about how great it is to work remote and it is great to work remote, there's a lot that I miss about an office. Like having the dedicated space that where everything is set up just right, uh, having people there to handle things like sending out packages. You know, I don't want to go out to, yeah. to the mail. Um, what else is it that, that makes an office environment great? I guess it's also, if you're six people, it's having lunch together. It's just chatting from time to time, right? Exactly. And I think the, the exchange of information, the informal information flow, that's very, very, very important. You just chat about something, having a coffee, or you overhear a conversation in the background, or you hear somebody else maybe pitching the product on the phone, right? These are the kind yeah. of things that, that we're missing uh, if we're working from home and it can really help uh, forming a team and you know getting to know the other person better and also helping on a professional level just understanding the product better and, and selling better any interesting stuff. discoveries for remote work that you found over the last year what's worked really well for you um <laughs> ooh, good question good question and uh, well i i think it's nice uh, to to have dedicated sessions where you can 
have these informal talks and it can't always be just business. So, um, you know, what we've done, we schedule calls where we don't talk about work and we, we just talk about, you know, personal matters. We even have, you know, we have a daily kickoff and I would say, yeah, we talk about how, what we're planning to do the day, but most of the, the meeting is just to catch up and like have a small coffee chat basically. And that's really nice. And I think it can connect people and gives, gives you the sense of belonging as well. And then for, I mean, I'm married. I have a kid. So for me, home office is very different, diff very different experience from somebody who's single alone in a condo in Toronto, for example. And, um, for, for, if, if you, if you're alone and single, then, you know, it's, it's really nice to have this personal connection, at least in, if it can't be in person, at least virtually. And you just do virtual coffee sessions where you talk yeah. about anything yeah. other than work. How long do yeah. they last? Uh, it's usually between 15 and 30 minutes. We have a, you know, we use Slack as a communication tool. We have a plugin that, you know, randomly selects people together. And then we have, uh, we have, ah, so it's one-on-one -on -one coffee. No, it's three people. Actually. Three people coffee. Yeah. Got it. So it's three people. They don't know who it's going to be. And then they get together for coffee and they yeah. talk about anything other than work. Yeah. Oh, great idea. All right. I dig that. All right. For anyone who wants to go check it out, it's uh, sendinblue.com for the site. By the way, I don't know if you're still a sponsor. You guys got three pa three ads and I think we finished them a while back, but the URL should still work for anyone who wants to go try it for free. It's sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. And I want to thank the two sponsors who made this interview happen. The first is HostGator. For hosting websites, go to HostGator.com slash Mixergy. And the second is a company that you probably don't yet remember because they're brand new to me, but they're going to help you hire better by, you know, checking in with your people on what skills they actually have as they're coming into, to, uh, as they're applying for a role. It's called Vervo and check them out at Vervo.com slash Mixergy. I'm sorry, Stefan. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spell this out because I know people are going to want to write this down. It's V-E-R-V-O-E dot com slash m-i-x-e-r-g-y vervo.com slash mixergy thanks Stefan. thanks andrew it was a pleasure all right and the bottom line is on this uh riverside here's what i think i love that i'm watching as they're recording your side while i'm recording my side the experience for you seems fairly straightforward though i think you might have had a little bit of trouble logging in do you think that was a riverside issue or not let's let the audience hear the issues that we're going through riverside is the email uh the software we're using to record this interview what do you think of it I know I had a I had a slight technical issue that was uh, that was not Riverside that was my own laptop, but then okay. it, then uh, it worked. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, it's nice to see to, to see you. Uh, it was I think a pretty good good experience in general. I like it for me too. And I, I like I'm watching it. It's recording your side of the conversation from your computer. As soon as you and I are done, it's going to spend like another five seconds uploading the last of our conversation and then I'll have your side recorded from your computer, my side from my computer and we'll be able to edit it. So far, thumbs up for Riverside. I dig it. Thanks. Thanks, Stefan. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye.